you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. This is the first time I've been able to say that because we've been in the book of Colossians and we've gone through one chapter, but it's taken us 12 sermons to get through one chapter. And that was important because as we look at that, why do we need 12 sermons to get through one chapter? Uh, Sermons are important. Teaching is important. In fact, um, people understand this to the degree that um, I I don't know. You probably don't know this, but we put... um, our sermons on the website so that people can download it, podcast, all that. We've had sermons downloaded almost 4,000 times off our website. People are coming to hear the word of God, but it's not just because they need to hear another speech. And why do we go to Bible studies? And why do we come to Sunday school? And why do we open our Bibles daily on our own? What, what is the importance of continuing on and continuing on and continuing on It's because we need to keep our eyes on Jesus or we get off track. It's easy to become deceived and to not understand. There's a man who went to the doctor, and I'm just going to read this for you. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, so how's everything going, George? Great, says George. I've found religion. God knows I have poor eyesight, so he's fixed it so that when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, poof. The light goes on and then poof, the light goes off when I'm done. Later in the day, the doctor calls George's wife. I'm in awe of George's relationship with God, he says. Is it true that he gets up during the night and poof, the light goes on in the bathroom and then poof, the light goes off? George's wife sighs. No, she says. It means he's been peeing in the refrigerator again. Yeah. I read that and I knew I just had to use it somewhere and I'm sorry for using the dirty joke. But it's funny because there was a need. And he, he thought he had it right. In fact, he claimed it was God who had helped him with his his problem. But when the reality hit, he was in two different places, wasn't he? Instead of being about the toilet where he needed to be. It was on the produce and on the milk. And so we go through Colossians and it's taken us 12 sermons to get there because Paul has been writing to the church at Colossae saying, I need you to see exactly who Jesus is. I need you to know exactly the predicament that we were in before we knew Jesus. And I need you to know exactly how immense the grace of God was that took you from that condition and pulled you into grace, pulled you into life, pulled you into eternity. And he said last week that he was willing to suffer. And we see we saw how often Paul had suffered for the opportunity to share the gospel with churches like Colossae, and even our church, as now we read the letters, he had been beaten, he had been whipped, he had been on uh, shipwrecks, he had, he had gone through a lot because Jesus told him his life would be about suffering as a backdrop to the epic story of the gospel. That we might see clear Jesus and who he is. And we saw how we as a people, we must be willing to suffer for Jesus. He's that important. And the good news of Jesus is that important to be willing to suffer, to be able to give it to the next person, to share that epic story of God's love for us. We've been looking and hearing about how Paul suffered. And we, too, should be willing to suffer for that good news. And then we get to chapter two and it starts like this. 
For I want you to know, he's talking to the Colossians, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, this is kind of an odd verse. He's talking to the Colossians. He's also talking about another church, a small church that was in another small town not too far away named Laodicea. He says, I want you to know how much I've struggled for you and this other church at Laodicea. But then he says, even though I haven't seen you face to face. Yeah. What does that mean? Because I know many a time a Hudson child has come back and said, oh, yeah, I've been at work cleaning my room. But we weren't face to face. If I go look at it, I don't know about that. How do we know, Paul, that even though we're not face to face, what have you been doing to struggle for us? You're not here. What have you been doing? How in the world could you be struggling for us if you're way over there in prison, which is where he's writing from? And this is the struggle. Yes, Paul's writing from prison. He does not have face to face contact. He's having to write snail mail, not even email. But the struggle that Paul is having for them is that he's struggling on his knees in prayer. Later on in chapter 4, he describes a, a man who's from Colossae. He says, this guy has been struggling for you in his prayers. So that your faith would grow and that you would know the will of God. I have been struggling for you. And even though I'm not face to face with you, even though I can't come and teach your Sunday school class, even though I can't sit down with you at McDonald's, now, I know he didn't have McDonald's, but whoever the eatery was in that day, even though I can't sit with you there and and talk over scripture with you and what's going on in your life, I have to let you know that I've been struggling for you because I've been praying constantly for you. The Bible says that we're in this wrestle, we're in this struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities, the authorities and the evil things that at work in this world. And the one thing to go about that battle and the one way to struggle for somebody, whether they're in your presence or apart from your presence, is to pray for them. Paul says, I've been praying for you. I've been struggling for you. I've been lifting you up to God. Well, what's he been struggling? What, what is it that he has been praying for them about? He doesn't then flip over to the back of his bulletin and list off just all the cancer. He doesn't turn over and list off all the, the, the homeless needs. This is what he prays for. This is what he is struggling for. It says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I, I want you to know Jesus, he says. I, I want that to have an effect where you're encouraged with one another and, and you're knitted together in love. I, I want there to be in you this continuing, not just of an education, but a knowledge and an understanding of this great wisdom that's only in Christ. I want you to know that. It sounds to me like he wants them to hear all of his sermons. He wants them to go to all the Bible studies. He wants them to read the scriptures. You see, Paul isn't wanting them just to go through exercises and to check off on the attendance form and to sit in the pews. He wants them to know Christ more. He is struggling in prayer constantly, praying, praying, and praying that they would come closer to Christ in knowledge and wisdom and understanding 
Because he understands how important that is. In the next verse, we realize why it's so important that they would grow in this wisdom, this this hidden treasure that's in Christ. And knowing that, he says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He says this, I want you to know these things so that nobody can trick you with teachings that actually sound like they might be true. I don't want somebody to, to come into your fellowship or to, to walk into your life and give you information, whether it's about Jesus or whether it's something else, that would actually lead you astray. The word that he uses there, delude, it means to kind of trick or to, um, well, a good way to think about it, the word that's being used here is to have a, a, a path that's right next to the other path. So if you can imagine that you're a train and you've got two tracks and they're right next to each other and you would say to yourself as the train, Well, as long as I'm just on one of the two tracks, it's fine. Somebody comes to you and says, why don't, you know what, just try track B. It's just as straight as track A. But they trick you into thinking they go to the same destination. You get on track B, and as you go and you chug and you you go on in your life, track B goes nowhere that track A goes to. Track B, according to Scripture, if it's not in Jesus, goes to hell. Track B doesn't go to life, it goes to death. Track B goes to suffering in the wrong ways. Instead of suffering for good things. Track B goes to immense hurt and despair. Track A goes to Jesus. There's love and peace and joy. He says, I don't want you to be deluded. I don't don't want you to be on the wrong path track because somebody has come into you and convinced you something else about Jesus that's actually not true. Now, let me tell you a little secret. You might not know this. You have people coming to you all the time trying to delude you. Not just about Jesus. That's what this is what advertising is, right? Isn't it? You can have somebody come to you and try to delude you, get you to to take your money from you and to buy this product. And sometimes it's something that you need. A lot of times you've been swindled. And there's things all in life where people will come to you and they'll they'll run you. They'll delude you with plausible arguments. Let me give you an example. I don't know how many of you have um, have a lot of knowledge about this. Any of you in the news heard about uh, something called Pokemon? Have you heard about Pokemon? All right, I've got hands. I've got a lot of nods. I think most people have probably heard about. And I would I would reckon that the majority of us in this room have no understanding what Pokemon is. And I'm going to show you what Pokemon is. In my hands, I've got three Pokemon cards. What they are, Pokemon is a bunch of, and I, I may get this wrong, and I'll have some reports later from children, um, Pokemon are these illustrated creatures, this whole world and, and, um, that's made up of these creatures. And they all have um, a certain amount of powers and abilities they have to basically uh, um, go to battle against one another. And so like this one, this is probably the most famous uh, Pokemon uh, um, character. His name is Pikachu. And Pikachu is this kind of lovable looking little yellow creature. Um, and his, his great asset is he can do a tail whip whatever that is he can do it and he can do it well and also 
Um, I believe, and Jude, correct me if I'm wrong, can he do, is this 60 damage? What's that? Of? Oh, health. Okay, health, health is 60. He's got good health. What about damage? How much damage can he do? Okay, he's got 30 damage by something that's called an electro ball. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. <clears throat> now, I've seen this happen with the kids where somebody will have a really powerful Pokemon card. Somebody who's, and yet, along comes an older boy. Or an older girl. I don't want to be sexist. But I've only seen it with the boys. The older boy comes along and says, hey, you know what? If I give you these five cards, these five cards, if you add these things all up, I bet it's just as good as that card. That, that card right there. I mean, it says he has a lot of, what was it, health. <laughs> he has a lot of damage. I mean, I don't even know what these things mean, but hey, this is a good deal. And I've seen it, the plausible arguments in the midst of a collectible card where the older boy will swindle the younger boy. And I'm not just talking about Hudson kids, so you're off the hook here. And will swindle, and because of a plausible argument, the one is deluded and gives up something of more value. Now I have one that's here. This is uh, Jude's greatest card. This is his favorite character called Omega Rayquaza. I have no idea about this guy. He's got 230 health, 300 damage. That's a good card. If you have the good card, you protect it. You see here, he's got it in the little protector. And then you don't let somebody come and you don't let them swindle you. You don't let them bring you a bad deal. You, you learn about it. You learn what health is about. You learn what damage is about. You learn about their abilities. And I don't even know it all. But I can tell you what, you won't be able to go swindle Jude out of this card. Why? Because he's studied. He has looked at and he's assessed. And he's begun to know what the world of Pokemon is about. I have no idea. I'd get taken, not Jude. He knows. Okay, some of you are like, here, I'll give these back to you, Jude. Don't play with them, though. No. Now, some of you are like, I don't, I don't get Pokemon. So I'm going to go, I'm going to swing to the other end of the spectrum. And this is another world that I don't know a lot about, but some of you do. Does anybody know what this is? Has anybody seen one of these before? Now, this is more, some of you might live in this world this is an antique and i thought maybe somebody from around here i thought somebody maybe from uh lee's produce might know what this is this is a it's from the, the victorian uh, era and it's a pickle caster it's a very fancy thing that they would have uh where you would have pickles in it and uh there's a very fancy uh tongs on the edge sometimes they've had a, a fancy fork that you would spear the pickles out and um it's a very, this, to me, I'm like, you know what? I could probably trade a couple Pokemon cards for this. But if I was to take this to somebody who would value it, who knows, who has studied and knows antiques, like my grandma who gave it to me, they would tell you that these things are worth hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of dollars. For things like this. I saw some on eBay. Up into $1,500. For, not this one. So don't come trying to steal mine. 
But I do have something. This has extra wrapping on it today. This item gets put in a very special place in the Hudson House. It's a beautiful, smooth, blue glass vessel. This is made from some of the most rare sand that you find in the upper mountains of China. It's made by artisans there that spend their life doing nothing but working for the sand getting the glass hot and doing whatever they do to make these things. These things go for up over $10,000, which is why today I'm carrying it in a paper sack. Um, somebody in antiquities comes to these items and they say, I don't know a thing about Pokemon, but I have studied antiques. I can tell you when I look at the pickle caster, that that has been well made. It's, in fact, on the bottom it says quadruple plated silver. It's a, it's a fine Victorian item. And somebody who knows antiques would come and look at this, 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 this item I've described as a Chinese vessel and say, you bought that at a yard sale. Because I don't know anything about this cup. For all I know, it was made somewhere here in North Carolina. And I deluded you. I'll, none of you believe me now. You're like, how, how can we trust the rest of your sermon? See, it's easy for us when we don't know. I, I really don't know what this is worth. Maybe it's worth more. Maybe it's worth less. I know that we love it. It looks good in our house. But I, this isn't from China. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's from a factory. I don't know. What I'm saying is when we don't know something about an area, when we don't have and understanding, and the wisdom, and the knowledge, that we look at those things, and it's easy for somebody to come say, oh yeah, that, that, that's what you really should go after. Get that. Buy this vase. Get that card. Yes, do that. And if we don't know, if we don't have understanding, we'd be like, sounds good to me. It's a plausible argument. And we've been talking about collectible cards, and we've been talking about collectible uh, pickle jars. <laughs> what about eternity? I don't know about you, but eternity is of immense value. It's of complete value. And when you're looking at eternity, you don't want to put it on the line and have somebody with a plausible argument come and tell you, oh, yeah, take track B. You want to be able to have the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge of knowing who Jesus is. So when somebody comes to you and says, this is who Jesus is, and they're telling you a lie, that you don't run on track B. You say, no, I know track A. I know it. And Paul is saying, I have struggled in prayer that you would be pressed to knowing Jesus so that when somebody comes to you with a lie, they wouldn't rob you of Jesus. They wouldn't rob you of eternity. They wouldn't rob you of his grace and his mercy and set you onto a track of just trying to do good works, trying to live your life, trying to do this and that and the other, and it failing you. The world will come to you with plausible arguments. Some of it will come within the church. I am sick and tired of the world robbing the word love. And then using that to excuse anything that humanity wants to do 
under the umbrella of love. And at the same time, I'm sick and tired of the church using the word faith and using it to describe anything that we might do under a church roof. Because we don't know what it means. And I think to myself, man, if I'm sick and tired of that, what about Jesus? What about God who's like, I have given you the truth. I sent you my son. I've given you my word. I've had prophets. I've had moms. I've had Sunday school teachers struggling in prayer over you that you would come and know the reality of how much God loves you. And how you don't have to earn, you just have to believe. That's faith. God is sick and tired of us being robbed back to death by plausible arguments that have deluded us. Paul says, I've been praying, praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And he finishes up with this. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. These things that we teach, these things that we preach, these things that we do as we pray for one another is an opportunity for us to say, stay close to Jesus. Grow in the knowledge of him, grow in the understanding of him, go to Bible study, listen to the sermons, sit at camp and listen to what the guy is saying about Jesus and make sure that he's telling the truth. And if he is telling the truth, go to Jesus and stay with him. Don't let anybody rob Jesus from you. Because if we get off on Jesus the wrong way, it's a lot worse than just missing the toilet and peeing in the fridge. It's looking at eternity and Jesus looking at us and saying, You're not in. You don't know me. I don't know you. So God is working for you. He's wrestling. He's struggling for you. Jesus prays for you. And we need to be praying for one another. We need to continue to to mature in our faith. We need to continue to go to God so that we can take these things. And Paul says, I I want these things to amount to the fact that you're working in good order, that your your marriage is working in good order because it looks like Jesus wants it to be. I I want the way you approach your job to be in good order and you be operating in faith so that you're trusting Jesus in that place. You actually look like him. I want your sex life to look like Jesus wants it to be. I want it to be the way that he ordained it so that it's according to his plan. On track B, it might seem well, but by plausible arguments, the world has said, yeah, this is okay, but it ends in hardship. All these things to display the goodness and the love of God. And how easily we get off track. Because somebody else or ourselves have deceived ourselves and given a plausible argument. We're deluded. Paul says, no, grow in Christ. I'm praying that you grow in Christ. I'm praying that you seek him, that you grow in him, that you learn him, that you love him. You don't steer away from him. You know what the truth is. Well, what's all this knowledge about? Now, I mentioned that this pickle caster, it may be worth a couple hundred bucks. 
My grandma, when she was younger, her grandma died. So her and her mom got on the train, and they went to visit the house, and after they had had the wake and, and the different um, things for her grandma, they went to her grandma's house to, to divide the stuff. And when my grandma, Granny as we call her, Granny went into the house, she was just four years old at the time. She goes into her grandma's house, and the one thing that she saw that she was just in love with was her grandmother's pickle caster. It was a cranberry red, looked like a lantern, and she just loved it. And so she was able to have it, and she just cherished that thing, and she, she had it, and she, she took that thing, and they left her grandma's house, and they got on the train to go home. And she was sitting by her mom, and she was so excited. And at that moment, uh, her uncle got on the train, walked over to where Granny was sitting, took the pickle caster, and put another box in her lap that had some kind of dish or something in it. And Granny bawled her eyes out because what was of value was stolen from her. Later on, when Granny got older, she began looking around in antique stores for pickle casters. And she didn't, didn't just gain one for herself. Granny went looking in the antique shops to find pickle casters for all six of her grandkids. So that each one of us would have a pickle caster. And you know what? I haven't had one pickle out of this thing. And I'm not looking to get 200 bucks out of this thing. But when Granny looked at her pickle caster, it reminded her of her grandma, something of value to her. When I look at this pickle caster, it reminds me of Granny. And when we look at the scriptures, it's not just to gain knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's for us to value Jesus. If somebody came and robbed you of his word, of the truth, would you bawl your eyes out? Would you say that thing that reminds me of the one who I love and who loves me? It's been stolen from me and I must get it back. And once I do get it back into my life, I'm going to share it. I'm going to give it to others who will pass on that memory of value. The scripture says in John chapter 10 that the the thief, Satan, has come to steal, to kill and to destroy you. He wants to steal Jesus from you. He's not concerned about taking your job or even taking your religion. He'll give you religion. It'll just be a plausible argument. His goal is to steal Jesus from you. Don't let him rob you. Grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Some of you are mature in Christ. Your job is to continue on that, but to also struggle for those around you. Parents, struggle in prayer for your kids. Not about what necessarily what college they're going to go to or or uh, what class they're going to get this coming year. Struggle that they stay with Jesus. Grandparents, pray for your kids and your grandkids. People in the church, pray for one another. Pray for our community. We must struggle and take people to Jesus. A sign, I believe, of maturity of your faith. Is that when in prayer, you're not just praying for the physical things that are going on in each other's life. The cancer, the sickness, the homelessness, these types of things. But over and above that, we are struggling in prayer that we might take people towards Jesus. That's the mature prayer. 
It's the prayer that doesn't need to be announced on the street corner. It's the prayer that takes us into our prayer closet and says, Lord, please have mercy. I'm struggling in a spiritual warfare battle for the soul of my child. Do they value Jesus? Lord, let it not be stolen away from them. Even though you're not face-to-face with maybe that one that you love. Go face-to-face with God and pray and pray and pray. We must be willing to suffer, but we must be willing to pray. All those things leading to Jesus. This morning as we close, we must recognize that Jesus did everything to buy us back. He came to earth, took on flesh, and died in our place. That was us that deserved the cross. But he put himself there instead so that if we look on him and say, please forgive me, all of our sin is taken off on us and was put onto Jesus. And we, in that exchange, get his righteousness. When God looks at you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see your sin. You may have sinned this week, and it's good to confess it. But if you're in Christ, you've already been forgiven. Live forgiven. Don't let somebody come with a plausible argument and tell you that you are not forgiven. Don't let Satan hold guilt over you. The scripture says, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer condemnation over you. Don't live in condemnation. Don't be robbed into thinking you must do good works to earn his love. You cannot do it because Jesus loved you and God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Don't let somebody put you on track B. Don't let yourself convince you of that. He died for you. He saved you. He's forgiven you. He will always love you. He is coming back for you one day. So give him your mind and give him your heart and ask him to fill it up with wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that you will not be swayed. We're going to close in some songs. And as we sing, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you not to do anything else but go towards Jesus. You can You can sing. And you may even come into the front and pray. You may sit in your seat and bow your head. But let those actions back up what's going on in your heart that you might be going to Jesus and saying, Lord, show me your value again. Remind me of how awesome you are and help me to fall in love with you. Here's my mind. Here's my heart. Here's my lips. Here's my song. Here's my breath. Here's everything in my life, Lord. Take it all. You're welcome to come to the front. And I'd ask deacons, if you see anybody come to the front, if you would come and pray with them. And we're going to close in a couple songs to sing into our Lord today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to listen to your word. It is true that we listen to it over and over and over. We pray that we would never get tired of it. But rather that we would continue to understand just how awesome you are. We pray that we would continue to operate in Jesus Christ so that We would not try to earn your love, but recognize you already love us. And as a result, there's no way we can please you unless we're working in and through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that even our singing today as we close would be led by Jesus, our high priest, taking us all together into the throne room that we might declare your praises. Help us, Lord, as we learn to struggle for one another. Help us as we learn to keep guard so that who you are and what we've been told about you is not stolen from us. That we're not taken away into counterfeit teachings. 
but rather that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.